Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2 this morning. Joel, an Old Testament prophet. His name means Jehovah is God. And Joel gives to us God's promise of peace. Now, peace is not the absence of conflict. Talked about this last week. Peace is the confidence and assurance in the conflict and that we can trust the one who is control of our lives. Now, as you begin to read Joel, you discover that Joel starts with a plague. And that plague is designed so that we might recognize some things in our lives. First of all, you need to take care of the little stuff so it doesn't become big stuff. So many times... Our problems are multiplied because we don't deal with the little stuff in our lives. It's the little foxes that spoil the the vine. Secondly, sin has consequences. And we need to understand that as we fail to follow God's direction in our lives, there are consequences that we have to deal with. And thirdly, we need to help others understand what we go through so that they don't have to go through it. We need to teach and share with other generations so that they might understand God's working in their lives. But no matter what plague is in your life, never fail to recognize that God is there. Enter God. Aren't you thankful that God never leaves us nor forsakes us? Aren't you thankful that the Scripture says we can boldly say, The Lord is our helper. I shall not fear. What shall man do to me? Enter God. God wants to show up in our lives. God wants to perfect His will through our lives. God wants to get glory from our lives. Enter God. Now, there are two events that Joel references that God is going to use throughout history. The first event is the day of the Lord. And last week we looked at this chart that helps us understand something about God's plan for the future. We start at the cross and have the church age, the age of grace. Next Sunday morning we're going to celebrate Easter But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And at that point, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, Joel tells us that. Are you in chapter 2? Look with me at verse 32, will you please? And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Underline that in your Bibles, please. You didn't think you'd find that in an Old Testament prophet, did you? You just thought that was New Testament stuff. But the reality is that when God enters our lives, if we will look to him, we will discover the wonder of his presence and his working through our lives. We said it this morning, God is good, and all the time, enter God. Wherever we find ourselves, 
God has not forgotten his people. Now, we started at the cross and we go to the church age. And the event that will end the church age is the rapture of the church. I've told you before that I am praying that I will go by the upper taker, not the undertaker. And the scripture says that in the last days, it's not going to get any better. It's going to get worse. In fact, as in the days of Noah, and this tells you how bad the days of Noah was, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. But at that point, believers are going to get ushered into heaven where we will have the beam of judgment and the marriage supper of the Lamb, and God will enter to judge the earth, and Joel calls that the day of the Lord. Joel refers to that five different times in his little prophetic book. The day of the Lord. A day that will spend seven years in judgment. All you have to do is read the book of Revelation to understand what that judgment is going to be like. Trumpet judgments, bowl judgments, vile judgments. A catastrophe will take place on this earth that no one has ever seen before. But it's God getting people's attention. And then his son will return. We have the second coming of Christ. And peace will reign because the millennial reign of Christ will begin for a thousand years. And we will come back and rule and reign with him. And we get to ride horses. We'll all be equestrians. I hope you're not afraid of horses. That may be part of what changes us in heaven. I'm not sure. (laughs) And as Joel reminds us, there will be great peace on the earth because he will rule and reign His spirit will be in control, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. And God is going to establish the kingdom of his son, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Enter God! And history will be changed from our perspective but history will be fulfilled from God's perspective. Now, what's the day of the Lord going to be like? Are you still in Joel chapter 2? Look with me, please, at verse 11. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for the camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? The day of the Lord is going to begin with a day of judgment. The day of the Lord is described here as great and awesome. And the question is asked, who can endure it? And if it weren't for the second coming of Christ, the answer would be no one. Because the judgment of God will come on this earth as has never been seen before. You know, you read the narrative of Scripture and you can see something about the judgment of God. Ancient culture knew something about the judgment of God. Remember Noah? 
That was the judgment of God. Remember the Tower of Babel? That was the judgment of God. God's people even knew something about the judgment of God. Remember Israel and the golden calf? 3,000 men fell as Israel was disciplined under the hand of God. Remember the fiery serpents that he sent into the camp? Remember Korah's rebellion? Fire came down and consumed 250 priests. Remember the sin of Achan, who stole from Jericho? Ai defeated Israel in a battle that should have been easy for Israel to become victorious in. Achan was punished. The judgment of God. You know, Scripture tells us that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an awesome God. And that truth needs to be lived out in our lives, too. 1 Peter chapter 4 says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God. Enter God. So what do we do with this? Well, if we're going to live out peace in our lives, we need to take some advice from God. Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Did you notice the word return is used twice in these two verses of Scripture? Return to the Lord, and then it tells us how. And then it says return to the Lord, and it tells us why. Return to the Lord. How? With all your heart. Jesus one day was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And you remember what he told them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now, Jesus was simply repeating what had been written in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Where Israel was told to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and teach your children to do that too. And teach your children while you're walking, while you're sitting, while you're lying down, when you're getting up. Teach your children to love the Lord your God with all your heart. God says, return to me. But return to me with all your heart. Someone sent me a quote that they had read this past week while studying the book of Joel, and I trust that you take what we share together on Sunday morning and live it out through the week and study it throughout the week so that you can apply it to your Christ-like discipleship. But this quote was John Piper's, and it says this, Few things are more dishonoring to God and dangerous for us than love to God which is only half-hearted. 
If our hearts begin to wander from God, he will fight against us to bring us to repentance. And if we are his, he will fight until we give him all of our heart all of the time. He says, return with all your heart. Keep your finger here in Joel chapter 2 and turn over to Luke chapter 14. Will you please? Luke chapter 14. Now, there have been those who have tried to explain away what Jesus is saying here. But let me just let Scripture speak for itself. Verse 25, Luke 14, verse 25. Now, great clouds, crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? Whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, While the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, therefore, and every time you see a therefore, you see what it's. Therefore, because of this, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You want to know how to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? Put into practice Luke 14. Wow. Now, how do we put that into practice? Back to Joel, too. Return to me with all your heart with fasting. Now, we don't talk a lot about fasting. But fasting is simply this. Giving up something very important in your life so that you can focus on God and a lot of people will do that around a meal. There are some denominations that practice Lent. Lent is the period of time between Ash Wednesday and Good Friday Resurrection. And what they will do is for a short period of time, renounce something. Now, many of these denominations do it because they think it is pleasing God with the renouncing something part-time. But God says to his people, return to me, but do it with a focus on what I have in mind for you. Because there is nothing more important than what I have in mind for you. Concentrate on that. Jesus told a number of parables that help us focus on that. Remember the parable of the treasure that was hid in the field? 
for the sake of the treasure that was hid in the field. An individual went out and sold everything so that he could have that field and that treasure. What are we willing to give up for the Lord? What are we willing to focus on for the Lord? I don't know about you, but that's getting pretty convicting in my life. Let's move on. With weeping. Have you ever wept over sorrow? Have you ever wept and had sorrow in your life over your sin? Over the way you're living out your Christian life? As you have heard me say many times in our lives, sin is an oops, not an oh my. Oops, I blew it. Rather than oh my. Yesterday I was talking with one of our young men. And he told me, told us, those were in the meeting, about an event that took place in his life. He went on a missions trip. And during that missions trip, the participants were asked to write down things that they were struggling with in their lives. Could you write anything on a piece of paper that you're struggling with in your life? Those slips of paper were taken and put in a bag. And during part of the service, there was a cross with Jesus on the cross, and that bag was hung on the cross. The resurrection took place. Christ came down on the cross, but the bag stayed on the cross. Why? Because Christ died for all of our sins. Amen? And no matter what has taken place in our lives, no matter what is taking place in our lives, it's been paid for at the cross. And that kind of demonstration of love when we violate it ought to make us weep. God says, return to me. Return to me with fasting. Make it a priority in your life. Return to me with weeping. Return to me with mourning. The difference between weeping and, and mourning, weeping can be short term. Mourning lasts a while. I've been praying very diligently for a number of our folks who have lost loved ones recently. Because I know that loss leaves a great void in their lives. And there are those sitting here today that have lost loved ones some time ago. But there is still a great void in your life. That's mourning. You don't get over mourning. You get through it. And when we recognize how much God loved us as he sent his son to die for us, and we understand how depraved we are and how we so easily take ourselves away from God, God invites us to return, but he says if you're going to return, focus, focus. Weep, be sorrow, because godly sorrow works repentance, but never get over it, because if you don't get over it, you won't go back to it. That's how we return to God. 
Now, why do we return to God? Verse 13. Rend your hearts and not your garments. It's a heart deal, isn't it? It's, it's not something that just all of a sudden is an external kind of thing that we do, like putting on a fresh shirt. It's the heart. Why? Because the Lord your God is gracious. Amen? God is gracious. God gives to you, God gives to me what we do not deserve. God is gracious. And not only is God gracious, God is merciful. God does not give to us what we do deserve. God is slow to anger. I always got myself in trouble with my kids when I reacted rather than acted. There are times with my kids, I was the one who needed the time out. You know? I needed to settle down. I needed to get under control. Aren't you thankful that our God is always under control? Because if he wasn't, I'd have been gone a long time ago. But our God is slow to anger. And our God expresses steadfast love. Whoa! Enduring love. Love that lasts. Love that goes past anything that we're dealing with. Love that benefits the relationship at all times. Our God is a God of steadfast love. Love is always consistent, always the same, always available. I always loved my kids. But if you'll ask them, there were times they didn't believe it. <laughs> God always loves us. And we should recognize that that love is consistent and constant and caring about everything in our lives. He says, return, because this is the kind of God I am. Amen? There were times when I had done something wrong, I didn't want to go home. Because I knew the kind of father that I had at home. <laughs> you can always go back to God. That's the kind of God we who is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and of steadfast love, abounding love, overwhelming love in our lives. Does that make you smile today? I want you to think about that. Just, just kind of let that rattle around up there a bit, will you? And then take it from here to here. Take it from your head to your heart. 
and know that the God of peace wants a relationship with us that is so positive because of His grace, His mercy, His self-control, His love. And it never changes. Wow. And how did God show that? He sent His Spirit. And Joel talks about the coming Spirit of God. This is the second event that Joel talks about. And it's the Holy Spirit who guides and directs us into all truth. It's the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ said would be the comforter. It's the Holy Spirit that seals us unto the day of salvation. It's the Holy Spirit that reminds us of all things. It's the Holy Spirit who indwells us and strengthens us and encourages us and takes the Word of God and applies it to our lives. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us. And Joel talks about the coming Holy Spirit of God. If you're here today and you know Jesus Christ is the Holy, as your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. That ought to give you a warm fuzzy. Because it's a truth that God has given to us so that we recognize we're not on our own. It's the Holy Spirit that we have of God. And he pours out his now, there are two times in the book of Joel that the coming of the Spirit is mentioned. Joel 2.28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And then verse 29. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. Now, when we think about the Spirit of God, we again look at God's plan. At Pentecost, God sent His Spirit, the one that He had promised, and it filled the lives of His disciples, His apostles, and it evidenced itself in speaking in tongues. There are three times in the book of Acts that we have the evidence of the Holy Spirit of God speaking in tongues. The first one is found in Acts chapter 2, where the apostles are in Jerusalem. They've just seen the ascension of Christ. They've been told that they will receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon them. Verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, shall be witnesses. And then as Peter is preaching, he begins to speak in languages that are native to his audience. It's a miraculous thing. The second time that the Holy Spirit comes is in Acts chapter 10. The Gentiles. Remember Acts 10? That's where Peter saw the sheet come down and he's hungry and hears a voice says rise and eat and Peter says no I'm kosher 
I don't eat that unclean stuff. And God said, what I've called clean, don't you call unclean. And at that point, the message of salvation begins to be given to the Gentiles. So the Gentiles needed to experience the Holy Spirit. And they too saw the evidence of the Holy Spirit was speaking in tongues. The third time that it's mentioned in the book of Acts is Acts 19. It's in Ephesus, where Jews and Greeks, people gathered from the ends of the earth, were together in the evidence of the Holy Spirit is seen. Now I want to pause right here because some of you may be asking yourself this question, is tongues for today? As I read the book of Acts and these three outpourings of the Holy Spirit of God, I understand each of these three was to verify the coming of the Holy Spirit in the lives of Jews, Greeks, and Gentiles, and then a mixed multitude. You move into 1 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And may I remind you that the church at Corinth was a carnal church. You don't want to pattern yourself after the church at Corinth. But in 12, 13, and 14, Paul addresses tongues because it was being misused in the church. And one of the things that Paul says here is it's better to preach than to speak in tongues because people understand what you're saying when you're preaching. I hope you understand what I'm saying when I'm preaching. And by this time in Corinth, they had been practicing some kind of, and we don't know what it was, unknown language that no one could understand. And they weren't doing it to build up the body of Christ. They were doing it to exalt themselves. That said, God has given to us everything we need to validate himself in this book. God has given to us everything we need to understand what he wants us to recognize as the Spirit's ministry in our life. We have the completed canon word of God. And so we don't need an external evidence to validate truth because we have it. Therefore, and every time you find a therefore, you find out what it's, okay. <laughs> therefore, I do not believe that tongues has a place today. And you say, well, what about people who speak in tongues? God can do anything he wants to validate his message. But I believe that God uses you and me as salt and light in this world to validate his message as Christ-like disciples. Amen? So we have the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, it happened at Pentecost. During this seven-year tribulation period, the Scripture tells us that the restrainer that's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is going to be removed. The restrainer is the Holy Spirit. And then the second coming is going to take place. And then we're going to have the peaceful reign of Christ 
where the Holy Spirit, I believe, is going to have a very specific ministry to work out peace on this earth. Peter, at Pentecost, quoted Joel 2. Coming of the Holy Spirit. There will be a second coming of the Holy Spirit during the millennial period where the power of the Holy Spirit will be manifest in such a way that there will be no mistake about who God is and what He is doing. Now that said, in your life and my life, there should be no mistake about who God is and what God's doing because the Holy Spirit indwells us. And what does that give us? Eternal peace. Joel chapter 3, verse 1. For behold, in those days, and at that time, I will restore the fortunes of Judea and Jerusalem. Jump down to verse 16. The Lord roars from Zion, utters his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth quake, but the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So ye shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion. My holy mountain and Jerusalem shall be holy and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with milk and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord, the water of the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall become a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness for the violence done to the people of Judah because they have shed innocent blood. But Judah shall be inhabited forever in Jerusalem to all generations. Amen? Eternal peace. Joel looks toward that time when God is going to fulfill his promise. And that promise is peace. Today is called Palm Sunday. And it was on Palm Sunday that Jesus entered Jerusalem. Triumphal entry, it's found in each of the Gospels. And the cry was, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. Amen? Five days later, he was crucified. Three days later, he arose from the grave. And Scripture gives to us the post-resurrection appearances of Christ to validate that resurrection. Forty days after that, they were gathered, and Acts chapter 1 begins, and they see the ascension of Christ, and in that ascension, the promise was made, this same Jesus whom you've seen go into heaven shall so come in like manner. He's going to return. Ten days after that, we have Pentecost, the establishment of his church. 
and the assignment to his people to go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. 2,000 plus years have passed. And we are waiting for the rapture. But let me tell you, God's going to fulfill his promise. Jesus will come again. And when he comes, he will receive us unto himself, that where he is, there we may be also. Wow. Jehovah is God. 